today on Ag News Daily. We knew U.S. soybean acres were going to be smaller. That still seems to be the idea. Well, here we are, listeners. Delaney and Tanner welcoming you back to the August 14th edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Got a Market Monday conversation to kick this thing off, right, Delaney? It feels weird to be back, Tanner. Weird? I'm excited to be back. Oh, I didn't say I wasn't excited. Just weird after being gone for a few weeks. <laughs> Got to get back into the flow of things. To remind you, we start off with a little bit of weather, it seems like, here at the beginning. We've got flash flood warnings and flood watches issued for parts of southern Missouri. Thunderstorms will continue throughout the central region. Those flood watches are due to excessive rainfall in southern Wisconsin that could push its way south. We've got over 100 million people under the risk of severe weather for Monday. We have potential tornadoes that could be in the weather patterns from Chicago to Baltimore. Uh, As severe thunderstorms are again threatening people, we see damaging high wind gusts and large hail possible, especially through the Ohio Valley into the mid-Atlantic region. We also have seen that same heat wave return, but now it's in the Pacific Northwest. Temperatures will soar above 100 degrees inland, and even the coast will feel upper 90s. Forecasters from the National Weather Service say the major to extreme heat risks is for the communities east of the Cascades. So there we go, a wide range of weather to kick our Monday off. Yeah, and we're still obviously watching the weather that tore through Hawaii last week, Tanner, as They had devastating wildfires, still getting reports of thousands of folks unidentified and missing. And the death toll also continues to rise as more stories are coming to light. But I don't know if we have any Hawaiian producers that listen, but they're definitely in our thoughts and prayers as well. Yes, absolutely. That is something we'll continue to keep an eye on. What's your first news story, Delaney? Well, Tanner, I got to be honest with you. I, uh, have been trying to get back into the swing of things here, seeing what was on the radar as I was out the last couple of weeks. And of course, the Black Sea continues to be a top headline here as we're continuing to see ships backed up in the Black Sea region as Russia continues to fire warning shots and raise tensions. Merchant ships remained backed up in lanes around the Black Sea ports on Monday as Ports have struggled to clear backlogs amid growing unease from both insurance companies and shipping companies just a day after a Russian warship fired warning shots at a cargo vessel. Tater, this is still continuing to impact the flow of grain and other products getting through there, and at least 30 ships have dropped anchors over the last few days, unable to get through the ports. But on Sunday, in regard to that fired firing shot that went off, a Russian warship fired warning shots at a cargo ship in the southwestern Black Sea as it made its way northward to a key port. This is the first time Russia has explicitly fired on merchant ships shipping beyond Ukraine since the landmark UN broker deal that happened last month. 
Yes, Delaney, and I also saw that Russia boarded another cargo vessel in the Black Sea and is now being considered an act of piracy, marking the latest flare-up. Jumping to our Russia-Ukrainian news here early in our broadcast, the Russian ruble has now hit a 17-month low against the dollar as of Monday. This is highlighting the growing squeeze on the Russian economy as Western sanctions continue to provide a slump in exports for Russia. We also have seen Russia missiles strike Odessa overnight, wounding at least three people, and other Ukrainian officials are stating that the southern port city has been a relentless target of Moscow's forces. And President Zelensky has stated that he will vow for completely fair retaliation after the deadly Russian shelling on the southern region of Kyrgyzstan Sunday. He remarks that some officials in Moscow have reported multiple Ukrainian shellings and drone attacks on Russian territory, and he states that those are factual. And he will continue to wage those. The U.S. Secretary of State announces another $200 million in security assistance for Ukraine. So we'll see if that boosts the arsenal that they need. So those are some Russia-Ukraine updates early in this episode. Well, Tanner, on Friday, we had a WASD report that came out after the podcast was recorded. And the USDA highlighted some demand problems for the U.S., but also cut yields once again, which was right in line with analyst expectations. USDA lowered their yields to an average of 171.5 bushels per acre on corn. That's down nearly two and a half bushels compared to the July report. And the soybean yield forecasted at 50.9 bushels per acre, just down over a bushel compared to the July report. This is certainly due to a smaller production, they say, on the report. And we're going to start to see what others are thinking of this year's production numbers as we head into farm tour season. We saw the sixth annual DTN yield, digital yield tour last week, had corn yields a little bit higher than where the USDA pegged them. Their average yield was 177 bushels per acre and soybeans came in at 51 bushels per acre. But Tanner, we will soon, I think next week, we kick off the pro farmer crop tour as well. So we'll just start to see what folks in the field are seeing as far as yields are concerned as well as we head into the final push here before harvest. Yeah, that is certainly interesting for us to watch. Uh, DTN's Grow Intelligence Officer was stating that they were giving Illinois the most improved crop award as we started off really dry at the beginning of the year. So it'll be interesting to see what that leg of the crop tour looks like. U.S. pork producer Smithfield Foods is set to close 35 hog farm sites in Missouri, laying off 92 employees in October. The meat group filed a Missouri Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act notice, confirming that the move will affect 13 sites in Newtown, 12 in Lucerne, and 10 in Princeton, Missouri. According to readers, Murphy Brown LLC, a division of Smithfield Foods, is reporting reducing its hog farming operations across the state must reduce its workforce accordingly. The layoffs are specified to the Missouri hog operation farms, not to any corporate positions. The employees are set to be affected on the 8th of October with appropriate notices being supplied to them. China's Smithfield, China WH Group, the Smithfield owner, revealed earlier that its year, the first quarter operating profit dropped 43%, while the profit attributed to the owners in the company decreased 56%. So before announcing its results, 
this was an expected coming of some planned closures. So we'll see what happens next. Of course, this is after Tyson Foods announced the closure of four chicken plants in the United States, two in Missouri also, one in Arkansas and Indiana. So we'll continue to watch what the meat processing major giants have in store for the future. But this is the latest news here. Well, Tanner, we saw combine sales stronger during the month of July up sharply while tractor sales slowed in the month of July. According to the the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, the softness in the compact and subcompact tractor market, both in the United States and Canada, is something they've been experiencing for quite some time after record growth during the pandemic. Slower tractor sales are what's been the trend as of recently. But according to the AEM Combine reports, shows farm-sized... Sorry, let me pick that up. But according to the report, combines in the month of July certainly took a spin higher. For the months of January through July, when you look at combine sales, they were definitely a bright spot, Tanner. In July alone, combine sales were up about 10.6% over July of 2022. And January through July of 23, combine sales were up 41% for 2023 compared to the same period in 2022. So it seems like folks are certainly rotating out old equipment to upgrade to newer pieces. Yeah, it sounds like it. My last piece for today, the Iowa Utilities Board rejected the request to meet next week from Navigator CO2 on the carbon dioxide pipeline permit process. Navigator was the second company to propose a pipeline across the state of Iowa. It suggested a schedule with an evidentiary hearing of June 2024 with a decision for permit October of 2024. It's unclear whether or not the board was not adopting the tentative proposal schedule filed, or if they merely didn't want the schedule of a meeting for next week. So there's more to come on this story. But as of right now, that right now that proposal has been rejected. But that's what I've got for news today. One final story I have here, Tanner, as we look at cropland values for 2023, they've jumped more than 8% this year, hitting an average of about $5,400 per acre, according to a recent USDA report. That jump continues to push the envelope with the leading nation, Tanner, in 2023. Do you want to guess what state has pushed the envelope for farmland sales in 23? Iowa. Uh, No, I wouldn't have guessed this state, but Kansas was the nation's lead with an increase of almost 17% for 2023 farmland sales. So certainly not coming down anytime soon by all accounts. No, it doesn't sound like it. What about the markets? Are they coming down? Well, surprisingly, we're getting a nice bump here today, Tanner, after I know markets have been pretty dire. I'm thinking it's because I wasn't here to report on them. That's why they (laughs) took a spin for the worse. No, I'm only kidding. But we are seeing some positive movements here today, especially in the soybean pits, which we'll get Darren Newsom's take on here in just a minute. But in the interim, here is where markets closed for today. September corn added about three quarters of a cent to close at 475. These new crop corn Closed just slightly lower today, down a quarter of a cent at 487. Soybeans really pushing higher today, and we'll get his take on it with the September contract up about 14 and a half cents to close at 1351 and three quarters. New crop soybeans up 18 cents to close at 1325 and three quarters. 
In the wheat pits here today, hard red winter wheat, September down six and three quarters cents at 749. September spring wheat down 10 and a half cents at 804 and a half. And in the livestock pits, they had weakness today as well. The October live cattle contract down 65 cents at a buck 8067. September feeders down a dollar 32 and a half at 250.12 and a half. And October lean hogs shed $2.17 and a half cents at 79.15. Tanner, let's turn things over to our Market Monday conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, folks, we are super excited today to be chatting with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst for Bartrar. And Darren, I just realized it's raining here, so that might be a telltale sign that we're having you on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, quite honestly, it's one of the things I looked at this weekend. There was this huge system basically moving across the, uh, you know, across the plains and, and the U.S. Midwest. And, you know, there's so many folks that want to still build this into a into a bullish argument. Uh or a bullish factor for the market. But I tell you what, back in the day, uh, you don't have to go back too far. You would see a weekend like that and you would just expect, uh, you would just expect markets, particularly corn and soybeans to be under pressure coming out of the weekend. Didn't necessarily play out that way though. No, it certainly didn't, especially when you look at soybeans today. They had some pretty big double digit moves on the board today, even with that rainfall. What's going on? Yeah, I think the biggest thing in soybeans, and we'll hear a lot of things, a lot of talk about it, but I think the biggest thing is we look at the extended forecast. Uh, we're looking for uh, above normal temperatures and below normal precipitation. Now, I don't know that soybeans are actually completely out of the woods yet. And given the fact that we knew we had smaller acres when February came to an end. I mean, we knew that December corn had done its job buying acres away from November soybeans. So we knew U.S. soybean acres were going to be smaller. That still seems to be the idea. And so now, while the weather has been better since about mid-July through mid-August, as we look towards the end of the month, and it looks a little hot and dry, there could be some concern getting built in to the new crop soybean market. We've also seen overnight sessions where each night, uh, you know, November soybeans are posting a double-digit move, and here recently it's been to the upside, and it tells us that the world's largest buyer is still interested, given the sell-off we've seen in the futures market, in the cash market, uh, that the world's largest buyer is looking at adding some secondary supplies to what its main supplier, Brazil, is already providing. So, you know, we've got a little bit of interest coming in here with the sell-off in the market. We've got, you know, a little bit of concern, possibly for late season concern for hot and dry, and, and it's helping to bring a little bit of buying back into the soybean market. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk to producers here locally within the state of Iowa and the rains that we've gotten recently talking about how it's a weight off their shoulders and they, they don't have a production worry anymore. Now they have a demand worry. Yes. Do you feel that's a worry that's legitimate? I do. Uh, I really do, because you know, again, if we if we just look at the if we just look at the exports only chart of of the big three, the export picture for the big three, with China as the buyer, Brazil and the U.S., the U.S. has lost so much ground to Brazil. I mean, it, it's almost a stretch to say that we're a secondary uh, supplier now, but it's just you know, it just comes down to the fact there just isn't anybody else. 
Uh, there's Brazil and then there's the United States shipping uh, soybeans to uh, uh, to uh, Brazil. So actually to China. So, I mean, yes, I think demand is a big concern. Now, as we look ahead into this next year, uh, we're hanging our, the U.S. is hanging a lot of, of hope on the idea that we're going to see crush demand pick up more bean oil, more uh, for more uh, bean oil and uh, for, for fuel, excuse me, I've spit, spit this out. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're looking at that sort of demand going up. I don't know that it's going to make up all of the loss of exports right now, but given the fact, again, that we're looking at fewer acres, possibly less production than what we've seen here over the last few years. I mean, we were the market's still telling us long-term supply and demand is still relatively tight. We can tell that with future spreads. It's just not critically tight anymore. Darren, that's the picture it sounds like for soybeans. Still a little rosy with maybe some potential upside here, but corn certainly did not have the same movements today. Do they have a little bit less rosy of a picture? Yeah, recently we've seen the spreads build some carry into the market. And again, the weather, I'm not going to say for everybody because it's never that way, but for the majority of the folks across the plains in the Midwest, the weather has been almost ideal uh, from mid-July on. And so we, we saw some cooler temperatures. We saw some rains fall. Uh, you know, I was looking at the soil moisture maps this morning and a lot of the problems that were across the Midwest have largely been erased. So, yeah, you know, it, it just we can't build the same sort of, you know, possibly, you know, reduction in produ reduction in production uh, argument due to weather. Uh, so, yeah, I think there is a different mindset that we have to approach corn with. But what I found fascinating here on uh, on, on Monday was that these corn put in a low of 481 exactly its low from July and on its long-term monthly chart, you know, that July low is critical because it did, the December 23 contract did post a bullish technical reversal on its long-term chart. So from a technical point of view, that 481 has to hold and it did today with an exact test. Well, that is something to really pay attention to because my next question was going to be in markets that we've experienced somewhat like this in the past, what are some good, uh, maybe some techniques or some tools that our listeners can use to make sure they've got unpriced bushels protected? Yeah, that's that's going to be the trick because you don't really necessarily you don't necessarily want to sell down here because there's a chance, an outside chance that we are near the low. Now, you know, I'm a little bit I have I still have a split decision on this because if I look at the cash. If I look at the monthly close only on the cash index, it tells me that we aren't going to stop going down till possibly next spring. So what producers might want to do, if, if, if they don't have options in place, if they don't have cash sales in place, they could have some sell orders sitting right, let's say right below that 481, the 480, 479 area that get triggered if we see a breakdown. Because if that happens, if we go below those levels, I think there's I think there's quite a bit of room to the downside yet. There's a lot of risk. I, I honestly think production's probably going to be record large this year. That seems to be what the market's telling us. And then just as with what, what Delaney was talking about with soybeans and, and what you were talking about with soybeans, we're going to have to see if demand starts coming back around next year. So Darren, the other big thing I've been checking a look or taking a look at here as I've been hotbed back into the markets has been the dollar surging to fresh highs here. I think five week highs maybe is what I read this morning. How is that impacting the rest of our commodities here with the demand story too? 
it it really hasn't changed demand because I mean we weren't seeing a great deal of demand anyway while the dollar was getting weaker. But what we are looking at here, again, if I take it from the weekly chart that you were just talking about and, and move that again over to its long-term monthly chart, it could be trying to form a little bit of a low in here, could be getting ready to try to turn higher. It's going to take some doing. You know, there's still so much talk uh, that in September we could see another interest rate interest rate hike uh, from the from the U.S. Fed, and that certainly seems likely. Uh, you know, but what's happening right now is that we are seeing some investment money come out. Now, it's not necessarily the the cash demand or demand for the actual cash bushels or barrels of oil or whatever it might be, but from the investment side of the market, we're not really seeing money going back into some of these markets. A lot of it has to do with uh, particularly in the grain and oilseed sector, the fundamentals just aren't as bullish as they were the past few years. Uh, but even as we look over in energies where the fundamentals are still bullish, we're not getting that type of, of investment interest because we're starting to see a possible turn, a possible long-term turn uh, in the U.S. dollar. Well, that's interesting. And I wonder if that has any play on what we're seeing in the livestock markets, or is this typical of the season that we're in? That's a great question. I don't know that we can say anything's typical about the cattle markets at this point. But the thing that really stands out to me about cattle is how the cash trade has basically come to a standstill. We're seeing light movement each week. We're seeing the buyers holding firm and the offers holding firm. And there's a space in between that hasn't been filled. All the while, the boxed beef market continues to weaken. So, you know, I, I, we've got a bit of a standoff in here. Usually when this happens, we see cattle getting backed up. And then all of a sudden something breaks loose. Now we could talk, you know, if we want to look at the futures market, we could tie that into that we are seeing that we're seeing US stock indexes come down a little bit. And there is a tie uh, between US stock indexes and, and cattle futures. Uh, and maybe if if we do see the, you know, the, the stock indexes take a little bit of a breather here over the next few months, maybe that starts to put some pressure on the cattle markets as well. But to me, it all comes back to the cash, a standoff going right now, and we'll have to see which way it ends. Darren, any other big headlines our listeners should be aware of here as we head into the final stretch before harvest? Yeah, you know, we, we've touched on most of it, but obviously we still have to we still have to keep a close eye on basis. And, you know, for now, I, I don't want to say basis is terribly weak. It's actually, you know, historically relatively strong. But once the combines start moving, uh, once we and, and that should be yet this month, particularly in the corn market, I think we're going to see basis really start to break, uh, particularly if there's just no demand. So if you want a good sign as to what may be coming down the road, certainly keep a close eye on basis. Fantastic, Darren. Well, thanks again for joining us here on the podcast. Always appreciate your insight. Well, Delaney, and thanks for having me on again. Well, there we go. First Market Monday back for the both of us. It was great to have you with us, listeners. Check with us tomorrow as we'll continue to bring you great headlines and good conversations this week. Absolutely, Tanner. We've got a lot of good things in the book, or rather, Jennifer has a lot of good things planned for us in the book. But Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's go.